so uh, I guess I should start learning it now. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for that beautiful rendition. <clears throat> Happy Sabbath, church. You know, over the last several weeks, we've been on a journey together. Um, I've been on a journey. I, every time we do a little mini-series here, it's always a journey that God is taking me through personally, and uh, it's, it's just been a blessing um, to be on this journey, becoming a house of prayer. The, today is part four. This is the conclusion of that, of that series. And um, actually, before I launch into that, I just want to, to give a shout out to some of our faithful staff members at Central Valley Christian Academy. Um, Pastor Stephen Ferguson, I don't know if you've met him. He's our new Bible teacher chaplain. And then Tristan uh, Caro, he's our new registrar and um, history teacher, right? Yeah. Anyways, and you, you all know Miriam and Harold. And Anyways, so thank you for your ministry. I do want to give them a shout out because Central Valley Christian Academy, they had a community service day uh, two Fridays ago, and one of their groups came out to bless us with their, their uh, zeal and energy. And so you'll notice that our garden club looks, looks nicely cleaned up and ready for winter. And um, this pathway that connects our parking lot to the neighboring church here, um, you can actually see that there's a pathway. Praise the Lord. Um, we're hoping that in case, you know, when the parking lot renovation takes place, like if we do actually need some extra parking out there, that uh, we'd be, we didn't want you to be having to hurdle tumbleweeds and things like that. So thank you to CVCA and the ministry there. Anyways, yeah, praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, today is a special day, um, October 31. It's Reformation Day. And some of you are like, what? <laughs> 498 years ago, actually, I guess it, this is disputed, but on Oct October 31, 1517, um, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses. His 95 theses that, um, that really challenged a corrupt religious system. And it sparked a reformation. It sparked a revival. And though that was nearly 500 years ago, today we can experience revival and reformation in our lives. Amen? And so today I want to continue the spirit of reform, the spirit of revival. But the truth is that genuine revival only comes in answer to prayer. Genuine revival is not something I can muscle out. Genuine revival is not something that I can program Genuine revival is something that only comes in answer to prayer. Martin Luther was a man who understood the power of prayer. And it's my, it's my heart's desire that we would understand that too, that we would experience that. And so this is part four of becoming a house of prayer. I'm just, just by a show of hands, ha, ha, have your prayer lives been altered or, or just enhanced over the last several weeks? Yeah? Amen. You know, um, I, what I would optimally like to do is actually have a time where we can pass around a mic and just share answers to prayer. How have you been walking with the Lord more deeply? And um, so maybe we can do that in weeks to come. But I hope that just because we conclude this part of our sermon series, that it wouldn't just be a passing thought, you know, that it wouldn't have just been the, the Baskin Robbins 31, like the flavor of the month kind of thing. No, I, I hope and pray that we would be a house of prayer. So part four, uh, becoming a house of prayer, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we need you every hour. And you know uh, just the weakness of our own hearts. You know the kinds of weeks we have come from, the kinds of burdens we bear on our hearts. And today, we just long uh, to hear a word from you. And so please, 
Would you please teach us how to pray? Would you please inspire us to seek after you in prayer? What a great privilege, a privilege that you have actually died for, that you have spilt blood for, and so often we take for granted. Oh God, please instruct us, inspire us, and may, may we learn to pray in such a way that you can bring about revival that starts right here. Father, please lead us through the pages of Scripture as you have in the past. Thank you in advance for doing it today. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, and uh, this is the first book of the New Testament. And this is just some of Jesus' first teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. Some of his first teachings, um, period, but also included in that is his first teachings on prayer. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 5 and 6. And when you're there, go ahead and say, Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5 and 6. And I'm reading from the New King James. I've got a red letter Bible, so this is all the words of Jesus. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He's got a crowd of people around him, his disciples right around uh, in his immediate presence. And he's been just sharing some powerful principles of the kingdom of heaven. You know, the Beatitudes. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. All of these things. And then now in chapter 6, he's getting into some really practical things of how to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the who? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. You guys know what hypocrites are? Hypocrites are actors. The Greek term is literally actors. Those who, who have a face here, but their real identity is something else. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by who? By men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. My Bible says, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Don't be like the actors who pray just when they're in public, or maybe who make a public display of their private prayers, right? Don't be like the actors. Instead, when you pray, go into your room. I would say that the public expressions of our, our religious experience, when, when these public expressions are declared out to God, but they have no undergirding in a personal experience, that's hypocritical. Let me, let me explain what I mean. It, it, it's as though that the hypocrites, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, they made a great show of their religious life on the outside, but when it came to their religious life at home, there was nothing there. Do you follow what I mean? Yeah? And because of that, even though they participated in public expressions of religion outwardly, when it came to their private expressions of a walk with God, it was non-existent. And so their public expressions were really meaningless, vain, and worthless. You see, when we lack private prayer, our, pub our public prayers tend towards vain repetition. And this is exactly what Jesus goes on to note. Notice in verse 7, it says, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their what? For their many words. Apparently, it was, a, it was a, uh, in the pagan cultures of the time, there was this conception 
that by the volume of prayers, there was merit in that. Just by the mere number of their prayers, they would gain favor with the deities. And so uh, Jesus is saying, hey, look, it's not about, it's not about uh, counting chips. It's not about collecting your points by saying your prayers. No, 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 no. Th- those are vain repetitions. He goes on, for they think that they will be heard by, for their many words. And then in verse 8, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Amen, right? It's not that prayer makes known to God who we are, but it makes God known to us. In the experience of prayer, it's not about coming up with as many eloquent words as you possibly can. It's about being assured that there is a Father who already knows everything you need. He just wants to know that we need him. Or maybe we we need to know that we need him. And so here, just in these few verses, Jesus gives us some really simple principles of prayer. The thing I want to focus on is in verses 5 and 6, when, when he's talking about public expressions or public prayer, it's not that Jesus is denouncing public prayer altogether. Do you agree with that? Yeah? It's not to say that, hey, you should never pray out in public. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, we have biblical examples where Solomon prays in front of the people, you know? Uh, we have biblical examples where Jesus is seen praying, okay? This is not about denouncing public prayer altogether, but it's saying public prayer without the private experience means nothing. Yeah, public prayer without the private experience means nothing. And I would simply say this, as we're talking over the last few weeks about becoming a house of prayer, this is a public, this is a corporate experience, becoming a house of prayer. But here's the implication. If we're going to take this, these, these instructions from Jesus seriously, a house of prayer in the public sphere is not possible with homes of prayer in the private sphere. Did you hear it? If we ever hope that we as a people will will be a house of prayer where God dwells, where we will enjoy prayer, where we will intercede faithfully and consistently, this isn't going to happen on a public level if it doesn't take place on the personal level. We will never be a house of prayer if we do not seek to cultivate homes of prayer. And this is sobering to me. Because, you know, in in a public role of ministry where where my attention is out here, uh, it's a call to me to take care of right here. Do you follow? And this isn't just just for ministers. No, no, no. This is is for every one of us. You know, it's not just about um, saying nice prayers when you're at the Sabbath school class. It's, it's not just about saying, uh, you know, being uh, at prayer meeting or, or whatever it might be. It, it's about cultivating the private experience. Do we have homes of prayer? Whether or not others live there with you, do we have a home of prayer? Because when we have homes of prayer, guess what? God's people will be a house of prayer. Yeah. And so today, my simple question Um, that I've been struggling with this week is how do we do that? (laughs) How do we cultivate homes of prayer? How do we cultivate prayer in the private life, in the the private experience, whether I'm there by myself or whether I have others in the household with me, whether the others in the household with me think as I do or maybe they don't? How do we do that? How do we do that? And so today, that's what I want to explore. You know, I'm reminded of the, the book of Acts 
where, you know, uh, it talks about uh, the, the people of God, the early church. They were meeting in the temple praising God, and they were also meeting, does anybody know where else? House to house, right? So here in, in, the, in the church's experience, it, it's, it's, it's publicly revived because there's house to house revival. You know, they're praying in public, but it's because they have private experience. They have a personal relationship with God on the home front. And so that's our question today. How do we experience that? How do we experience that? And so if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, what we're going to do is we're just going to hit on five C's, five ways to cultivate homes of prayer. All right. So here's C number one. It's simply this. Think contagious. Think contagious. What I mean by that is simply this. That some things aren't just taught, they're better caught. When it comes to modeling prayer, when it comes to becoming a home of prayer, you can't just like, okay, this is the curriculum, here we are, (laughs) we're going to be a home of prayer. No, it's something that we intend at at first, it's something we need to model, it's something we need to demonstrate. And um, I want us to go actually to, um, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. Go with me to Genesis chapter 24. And this, by the way, again, all of these principles that I'll share, this will apply to those who have families with them or who have nobody else in the household. The whole point is, the whole point is cultivating prayer at the home front, okay? So Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. In Genesis 24, there's a very, very simple line that I just want to highlight here that has caught my attention in the past. It's Genesis 24, verse 63. And when you're there, say, Amen. Genesis 24, verse 63. Back onto the story, Isaac, um, he is of age, and Abraham, his father, knows it. And Abraham wants to make sure that if Isaac finds a life partner, that he finds the right one, right? And so Abraham takes it upon himself. He, he actually entrusts this mission um, to, to find a wife for Isaac. He entrusts this mission to his, his best trusted servant. His servant goes and finds this, this lady named Rebecca. And Rebecca is coming back now. But notice in verse 63, in verse 63, the Bible says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And I just want to stop right there. Here's a picture of a man, a young adult, who is seeking God. He's, he's, okay, yeah, sure, he's seeking a partner, but he's asking God to bless him with that. And so in this verse, it's, he's meditating out in the field. And what catches my eye about this is that Isaac didn't come up with this idea on his own. Apparently, this was a habit of his. This was a, a habit of his that he had picked up from somewhere. Guess who? From his father. His father Abraham had multiple experiences where God said, hey, come out, walk under the stars, and let me show you. You know what? Your family's going to be as many as the stars, right? Isaac was a man of prayer because I believe he saw his father was a man of prayer. Isaac understood what it was to commune with God in the open because Abraham understood, and he modeled that. You know, just a few weeks ago, actually last month, we, uh, my family and I, we we went out to Caswell um, Memorial Park or something like that. It's, it's just, just uh, north of here. And uh, we found some trails and we started hiking along and stuff. And um, it was a beautiful, beautiful setting. Uh, the, three of, uh, the three of our kids were all with us. We had two in little carriers and stuff. And we were just enjoying the scenery. Um, 
at least as much as we could, because we were celebrating Debbie's birthday that day, but apparently all the mosquitoes in Stanislaus County were, were celebrating with us. And so we were hiking this, wow, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, watch out, you know. And so the whole, I don't know, 1.8 mile trail that we, we were just like swatting at each other. And you know, anyways, at one point in this hike, at one point in this hike, Jaden, I hope it's okay that I talk about it, hey, but Jaden says, dear God, Thank you for the mosquitoes. <laughs> oh, Lord, please bless the mosquitoes. I don't exactly remember the, the simple prayer that he prayed, but he, he was praying out loud to God. And um, truth be told, he actually didn't get any mosquito bites that day. <laughs> I came home with, like, I don't know, I stopped counting at 97. It was just like, we were, we were eaten up. But, um, but something, you know, in that just really grabbed my heart, and I said, where did he get that, you know? And uh, I'm so thankful for a praying wife. Um, you know, Debbie is someone that rebukes me often, not, not verbally, but just her example. She, uh, she prays to God about everything, about the things that I think I can easily take care of, you know? But, but the thing is, she's modeling something, and she's not praying on the street corner for, for everyone to see. No, uh, what's going on is that her private prayer life is demonstrable, you know? It's visible. And, I, and for me, that's powerful, but apparently for my kids, that's even more powerful. And so here's, here's something, when we're wanting to cultivate prayer in our homes, whether it's parent to child, child to parent, spouse to spouse, you know, whatever, when we're thinking about cultivating a home of prayer, think contagious. Allow your personal prayer life to be visible. Um, not to say that you're going to have your personal prayer time in the middle of the kitchen floor, you know, but, but allow your personal prayer life to be uh, understood and seen. Um, so, so be contagious. Think contagious, in a sense, all right? Um, model that. Model your un unceasing prayer. Model your, your private prayer times, what it means to set time alone with God. And people will pick up on that. People in your household will pick up. So, uh, how to cultivate a home of prayer? One, think contagious, all right? Number two, think consistent. Think consistent. And notice I didn't say um, routine, but I said consistent. Why? Because consistent starts with the letter C. <laughs> no, uh, because sometimes routine, sometimes routine um, becomes rigid and it becomes meaningless, you know? But when I say think consistent, I, what I'm after is regularity it breeds priority. The things that are regular in your life become important to you. And so when it comes to cultivating a home of prayer, be consistent. Be consistent. Go with me to Psalms. Psalm 55, verse 17. Psalm 55, verse 17. In the, in the Hebrew experience, the experience of God's people, they had uh, the sanctuary services that were very regular. You know, evening sacrifice, morning sacrifice. These were times of prayer for the Hebrews. Daniel, when he's, you know, a captive in Babylon, he continues this habit of prayer, but he doesn't just go morning and evening. He, apparently, he does it three times a day. And here, the psalmist is talking about it. Psalm 55. Psalm 55. When you're there, say amen. amen. Psalm 55. Notice it in verse, I'll read verse 16 and 17. Psalm 55, verses 16 and 17. The psalmist says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Amen. Yeah? Praying with assurance. Praying with the certainty that God is responsive. 
And then in verse 17, notice, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. When it comes to being able to have a household of prayer, cultivating a prayerful environment, one of the best things that we can do is be consistent about praying together. Um, so that when prayer does happen, it's not a surprise. Oh, we're praying, you know? When we, when we set times of prayer, when it becomes a regular thing, maybe at first it might feel awkward, but eventually it can, be, it can become an expectation. And so before we, uh, you know, before uh, we tuck our kids in or before, you know, you say uh, goodbye in the morning, you know, before heading out to work or whatever, if you have this regular expectation that, hey, this is a time of prayer, let's gather around, you know, let's gather around, then it becomes more, not routine, but it becomes consistent. It becomes consistent. And so identify those times. Identify those times for you as a household that are, that are unhurried, Identify those times for you as a household that are fresh, that are undistracted, those times that maybe it's not the same every, like, the same hour and the same minute of every single day, but you have this expectation that, that you're going to pray together, all right? So think contagious, like Abraham and Isaac. Think consistent, like Daniel and the psalmist. But here's number three. Here's number three. Think concrete, Think concrete. When it comes to cultivating a household of prayer, be concrete. Um, go with me to the Old Testament book, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Maybe I should explain think concrete. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean I go mix some things with water and, and lay some sidewalk? No, no, no. What I'm talking about is, is being tangible with your prayers. Associate your prayers with something uh, that you can tangibly experience or even tangibly see a tangible experience or a tangible object. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's right after Ruth, right before 2 Samuel. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. Okay. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Really powerful story of this little boy named Samuel. Have you guys heard of this guy? Samuel. I mean, we know the famous stories, uh, how he was a little boy, and, and he heard God calling to him. He didn't even recognize his voice at the first time. But before Samuel was this this uh, child prodigy of a priest and prophet, so to speak, before Samuel was that age, he had a mother who prayed. Samuel's mom, her name was Hannah, and in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I mean, can you imagine being a mom who says, you know what, this, this child is a gift from God, and I want to give him back to God. Can you imagine what that would be like? At the time, at the age that he is weaned, that he would be dedicated to the Lord's service. And so, I mean, he hasn't even gotten out of his uh, 24-month-old clothing or whatever, and here's, here's this little kid serving the temple. And in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, some simple details that really teach a lot. The Bible says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Okay, now, an ephod was the, co the common garb of the priests who ministered in the sanctuary. And so here he is. He's, he's walking the walk. He's wearing the wear. He's, <laughs> he's doing it, okay? But notice in verse 19, Moreover, his mother, that's Hannah, used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband 
to offer the yearly sacrifice. It's a picture right there. Obviously, it's a picture of a mother's love. Man, when am I going to see Samuel? When I see him, I'm going to give him a gift, right? But what's interesting is that this is more than just a picture of a mother's love. This is actually a picture of a mother's prayer. We're told in the book Patriarchs and Prophets that Hannah, between those visits, those yearly visits, she would spend that whole year weaving herself, hand-making this little robe. And in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 572, we're told that, that with every fiber, she was saying a prayer for Samuel. And so when she comes once a year to say, here's your robe, which he probably wore over the shoulders of his ephod, what, what Samuel was experiencing was the coverage of, her mom, of his mama's prayers. Every year, Hannah would pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And those prayers covered her little boy, Samuel. And here's what's interesting to me. This was a concrete, tangible uh, piece of material that whenever Samuel held it, whenever Samuel donned it, he would know he's being prayed for at home. And if we're seeking to cultivate a, a home of prayer, be willing to associate your prayers with something tangible. Uh, you've heard me speak about maybe prayer journals. You know, put it, put, you know, get your hand moving. Look at that paper, uh, or maybe it's a computer screen or whatever, and you're, put, your, put your prayers in concrete form. What this will do is it'll make those prayers more real, but it also, it, it, it will be something that you can reflect upon later, that you can remember, just like Samuel was able to think about, you know, oh, his mom's prayers. Um, Maybe uh, you've heard of some households, they, they have prayer jars, okay? Prayer jars. You've you got a, a, um, a used uh, peanut butter jar or pickle jar or whatever, and um, <clears throat> every time you have a prayer request, you just write it on a slip of paper and you put it in there, you know? Or maybe you've seen an answered prayer. Or maybe there's a blessing that you've seen throughout the week. Write it on a slip of paper and you put it in there. And when, maybe when Sabbath comes along, you can pull out those things and say, oh, wow, praise the Lord for this. Or when it's time for that evening prayer, you can gather together and say, hey, what should we pray for today? You know, and you can pray for one another regarding those requests that you've just kind of chipped in throughout the week. This is thinking concrete. And this is really, uh, again, we're just cultivating prayer on the home front. On the home front. You know, sometimes um, you can think about associating your prayers with not just concrete uh, objects, but concrete experiences. Again, you know, we were talking about how Abraham, God led Abraham to kind of walk out under the stars. And this was a time of communion. And maybe, maybe you've experienced that where when you're walking, you can pray. Have you ever experienced that before? Yeah? You know, you can walk and pray and walk and talk with Jesus. Just make sure to keep your eyes up and not closed, yeah? <laughs> Some of you, when you're driving, you know, uh, maybe you've got a long commute. And every time you see this certain landmark, you're praying for this, or you're praying for that. And you're, you're associating your prayers with concrete things. And what it's going to do, it's going to cultivate prayer on the home front. It's going to cultivate prayer on the home front. And so, think contagious. Think, uh, what did we say? Think consistent. And then think concrete. Here's the fourth one. Here's the fourth one. Think concise. <laughs> think concise. Basically, Keep it real and keep it short and sweet. (laughs) 
No, what, what this means is that when, when it comes to cultivating prayer on the home front, uh, sometimes, okay, this is uh, confessions from, from a pastor, all right? <laughs> I remember times in my, my, uh, my growing up years where we would have consistent times of prayer, consistent times of family worship, and a lot of my memories of those consistent times of prayer were of me falling asleep, okay? And um, I, so my parents are probably going to listen to this someday, so <laughs> um, I don't want to fault that at all. Um, but, but what I'm saying is that when it comes to cultivating a home of prayer, one of the best ways we can keep engaged is by staying concise. Staying concise. Um, remember back in Matthew chapter 6, uh, don't be like the heathen who, are, who have vain repetition, right? It's not like we need to come up with the most eloquent prayers, um, but if we can comprehend what we mean and just say what we mean, um, it will go a long way. It will go a long way. And so, um, again, this is, this is about being concise for the sake of, of staying earnest and of staying genuine. Um, this does not, mean, this is not, does not mean that we can't have lengthy times of prayer. No, no, no. Um, but when it comes to being able to cultivate a, a prayer household, uh, sometimes we need to keep each other engaged by staying concise. Yeah. Do you follow? Yes or no? Yeah? Cool. All right. Um, here's the last one. Here's the last one. So we're just, we're just kind of going simple, going practical. We're just going to wrap this up here. So we're thinking contagious. We're thinking consistent. We're thinking concrete. Think concise. And finally, think chorus. Think chorus. Or... Um, or if you're thinking Espanol, think cantar, right? Sing it. Sing your prayers. Sing your prayers. We're told that singing can be as much an act of worship as prayer. Why is that? Why is that? Because in song, we can communicate to God things that, that maybe are, uh, maybe if you've ever been at a loss for words, you've been, you haven't been at a loss for a song, <laughs> And this is, this is something very interesting about music. Music actually engages both the right and left sides of the brain, right? It's the intellect and the emotion. And it's something that allows us to be able to say to God things that, that sometimes we just are, are, we have little words for. In fact, um, go with me to Psalms, Psalm chapter 42. Psalm 42. And speaking of the Psalms, I suppose the Psalms itself is a testament. <laughs> it's a testament to the fact that, that uh, our prayer lives can be singing lives. Um, if you think about it, this whole book, which is the largest book in the entire scriptures, and it's right in the middle of it, psalms are essentially songs to God. Psalms are prayers that are put to music. And so here we have, in your Bible, you have the Hebrew hymnal, and it's called psalms. Right? We're going to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, and I believe we're going to take a look at verse 8. Psalm 42, verse 8. When you're there, say amen. amen. Psalm 42, verse 8. The Bible says, The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Okay, that verse is just really powerful on a lot of different levels, right? First, the fact that God actually instructs loving kindness. Hey, go, go to him. Go to her, you know? That God actually intentionally channels his love towards you and I each and every day. In the daytime. Boom. 
But secondly, notice what it says. And in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Notice how interchangeably song and prayer are used. Do you follow that? Yeah, he's saying, hey, God's song is here. This is my prayer to the God of my life. So many songs can be used as our prayers to God. You know, one of the most common songs that I sing in my head when I'm praying out to God is, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Friends, you know that's more than just a nice melody. That's a prayer to the God of your life, right? There are other courses. What are the songs that you sing as prayers to God? I'm curious, I'm curious. What are some songs that you, you've lifted up to God as prayers? When we all get to heaven, amen. Just a closer walk with thee, amen. As the deer pants for the water, yeah? I heard some others. First John 4, 7, 8, beloved. Yeah, yeah, what was it? Amen. I come to the garden alone. Yeah. Come thou found. Okay. All of these songs, again, it's, it's, this is not just, you know, a, a routine, something that we do at the beginning of a church service. No, no, no. These are meant to be communicating, or means of communicating your heart to God, and even God's heart to you. Yeah. So, if you're looking to cultivate prayer on the home front, and you don't feel like, uh, you know, uh, everybody's engaged in your prayer time or whatever. Hey, try start singing a song <laughs> and see how that actually, oh, whisper a prayer in the morning, you know, how that brings people in. Um, something that we like to do is, you know, uh, some of the cradle roll songs, some of the beginner songs. When it's time to pray, I bend my knees. You know? <laughs> and we sing that almost every night. Why? Because sometimes our kids, even though they know it's time for prayer, they're way over there. <laughs> And so when we start singing, they sing them. Sure, yeah, yeah, all of these things, all of these things. And when you think chorus, um, it, it can become contagious too, right? So um, maybe I should address this concern. What if I can't sing? <laughs> what if I can't sing? Exactly, no, make a joyful noise, right? The Psalms say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Go ahead, you do it in the shower anyway. Make a joyful noise, no? Uh, other alternatives, obviously, you know, you can find recorded music or whatever. Um, the point is, think chorus. And what's cool about chorus and, and, and song is that it has a uniting effect, you know. It's not just about singing nice, tight harmony, but there's something that when other people can join you in singing and saying the same thing, you become of one purpose and one heart. That's what happens. That's what happens. And so, when it comes to cultivating a home of prayer, which of these five things will you implement this week? Which of these five things can you start putting into practice, whether you have others in the home or whether you're, um, you know, whether you're there and, and you, know, you just want to experience more prayer by yourself? You know, can you start thinking chorus? Can you start thinking consistent or concrete or contagious or whatever? What are the things that you can do 
Not just becoming a house of prayer out here, but becoming a home of prayer right here. Right here. Uh, what I want to do right now is, is actually just spend some time together praying. Praying for our homes. Praying for those in our spheres of influence, but specifically praying for our homes that we would cultivate prayer at home. And so maybe what we can do is just find a partner that's next to us um, and let's just pray together. Let's pray together. Maybe you're sitting with people who are from your own household. Pray for your household that there would be prayer in the home. Pray for those who, who it might be a struggle, you know. Maybe there's a spouse who doesn't maybe think the same way you do. Or maybe there's a child um, who doesn't think the same way. Or maybe you are the child and your parent doesn't, doesn't value prayer as you do. Let's, let's pray for our households that we would be homes of prayer. So let's spend some time, three or four minutes. Ready, set, go. Go.